0: Okay, before I get to my next guest, John Cook, I want to talk to you about two under men's performance briefs. They're the unofficial underwear of the PGA and the 2020 Ryder Cup team. Ricky Fowler is their global ambassador, and over 50 other PGA, Corn Ferry, and Champions Tour players wear them. Just to mention a few, like David Toms, Jerry Kelly, Justin Thomas, William McGirt, Scott McCarron, and Chris DeMarco. The Joey Pouch technology provides the ultimate male asset management, delivering maximum comfort from the tee box to the boardroom to the bedroom. Use code NEXT20 to save 20% off your order at twounder.com. That's the number two, U-N-D-R dot Two Under, performance in your pants. And you walk a lot of miles in life and on the course, so make sure you're walking in the right shoes. Sconey changes the game. With an affordable line of the most comfortable, versatile, slip-on golf shoes that can be worn anywhere. They're made with breathable microfiber fabric, spikeless treads, and an adjustable lace lock. And they're easy to clean, too. So spend less time changing shoes and more time living in them. Visit Skoni.com and use code NXTONT20. So next on T20 at checkout for 20% off. That's Skoni.com, S-K-O-N-I.com. They're also available at golf specialty retailers and green grass pro shops nationwide. Okay, now back in next on the tee with me is Champions Tour Pro and Sirius XM PGA Tour radio host and analyst, John Cook. John is from Toledo, Ohio, but grew up in Southern California. He went back and played his college golf at Ohio State, where he was a three time All American. He helped them win three consecutive Big Ten titles from 1977 to 79 and the 1979 national championship. John won six individual titles while he was there. He's also inducted into the Ohio State Hall of Fame back in 1986. John won the U.S. Amateur Championship in 1978, finished second to Marco Mira in 79. He also won several amateur championships, including the California State Am in 1979 and the Ohio Amateur in 78 and 79. He would turn pro later on in 79, got his First tour victory at the 1981 Bing Crosby National Pro-Am. Won again in 83 at the Canadian Open. In all, John won 11 times on the PGA Tour, 10 more times out on the Champions Tour. He has seven top 10 finishes in majors. He was named the 92 PGA Tour Comeback Player of the Year. And in 2013, he was inducted into the Southern California Golf Association's Hall of Fame. And I am very excited. To have him back with me again tonight here on Next On the T. Hey Cookie, how are you?
1: I'm good, Chris. You are unbelievable. That is such a great introduction. And to follow Hal Sutton is we battled so much in the you know late 70s, early 80s, all the way through our careers. It's uh it's a pleasure to be with you, Chris. Thank you for having me.
0: I appreciate you, John. I want to start our time tonight by talking a, a minute about Tom Wisniewski. We unfortunately lost him way too soon, late last summer. And I know he was a driving force in your career. One of the reasons why you went to Ohio State. He was just announced as a the new inductee into the World Golf Hall of Fame. Talk about his influence on your life. You know what,
1: Chris? This is it's really emotional to me. But what Tom meant to me, um, you know, just in high school. Uh, I would get a call every once in a while. We'd be sitting at dinner and, you know, we somebody would answer the phone. It's Tom. Tom's on the phone. Uh, I didn't have a Tom in my my, my area and some of my friends. It was always it was Tom Weiskopf. Tom Weiskopf's calling me. Goodness gracious. That's it was amazing to me. And, you know, I always admired him and not even I mean, even before. Um, you know, we got involved in the recruiting uh process to go to Ohio State. I I I loved his golf swing. I loved the way he carried himself. I knew he was from Ohio. I was in Southern California, but we were Ohio people. Um, so, you know, he was a huge influence uh not only getting me to Ohio State, but also when I got to Ohio State and also got on tour, I mean, every, every time he came to Columbus, he would give me a ring either in my a dorm room or apartment or where, where, wherever I was living. And he wanted to go play golf. And that continued on, um, Chris, into my professional career where he would, we had played a lot of practice rounds together. And he, he always had a message to me. He always said, Observe the golf course, ask what the designer, the architect was, what it, what's he asking you? And that's why he's he's in the Hall of Fame, Chris, not only because he was a great player, not only because he was a great broadcaster, but he was a great architect as well. And so the influence that he had on my career playing practice rounds, asking me questions, me asking him questions, um, it's a little I mean, I'm so happy that his name is going to be in the Hall of Fame. I think it's a little late, honestly, and I can say that with a clear conscience because he should have been in the Hall of Fame years ago while he could get up there and accept the award and let people know on who Time Wascoff was. And, you know, I, I miss the man dearly. He was a big influence in my life, Chris. And, uh, you know, I, I, I'm I'm happy that his name is in there. And I, I, I appreciate the fact that uh, he is going to be in there. I think it's a little late, but I'm happy that he's gotten his name in there.
0: Yeah, John. And I guess that that's where I feel like there's a hole in this and that it, it is late. I mean, I hate the fact that we lost him, you know, a few months ago and now he's going to be inducted into the hall of fame and he's not going to get the moment to kind of drink that all in feel how special that is. Feel him, you know, the honor it is to be in the World Golf Hall of Fame. He's going to miss all of that. And and, and it, that, that just sort of rubs me wrong that the hall waited this long.
1: Yeah, you, you're right, Chris. And uh, Lanny Watkins and I, for years, I mean, I got into television probably, you know, eight, ten years ago. And Lanny and I have been beating this drum for a long, long time. And we're happy that he got in. Um, it was a little bit. A lot like Ken Venturi. He was really wasn't able to appreciate the fact that he was going into the Hall of Fame. Um, he did get in before he passed, but he was not able to attend and uh, express his feelings. And Tom's not, he's the, kind of the same way. So, um, but we're happy his name is in there, deserves to be in there. He it has such an influence in the game. Uh, Chris, in so many facets of the game. And it, if anybody out there is listening and they want to know, why would he be in as a broadcaster? Go back and listen to some of those master's calls. Right. Go back and listen to some of what he had to say when he was sitting on 13 at Augusta National. It's just incredible the insight that he had, not only in the game of golf, but the architecture of the game and just being part of the game.
0: Couldn't agree with all of that more. Yeah, I'm a huge Jack Nicholas fan. I can't tell you how many times I've watched replays of the entire 86 Masters and Tom Weisskopf being there uh, on 16. Perfect. Everything he had to say was perfect. And and, <laughs> and and with a little bit of you know dry sarcasm in there as well. But he made, <laughs> he made every podcast he was a part of better because he was there. And like I say, I... I just, I just wish he would have had the opportunity to stand up there at that podium and accept this honor. I, it's a shame he's not.
1: Yeah, I, I, exactly. And I I remember one call and I think I had been done for the day. We played on it. I played in the morning and the, the wind was blowing incredibly hard um, at Augusta during the Masters first round. And, you know, Tom Watson, you know, like beating the field in the afternoon by a few shots and I remember Brent Musburger, like asking him, you know, Hey, Tom, are, are you surprised at Tom Watson, you know, shooting this score and beating the the scoring average in the afternoon, you know, by this many shots, he said, Brent, he won five British opens. He can play <laughs> in the wind. I mean, I mean, how succinct is that? I mean, that's, that's, that's the great mind of Tom Weisskopf.
0: Absolutely. John, I want to switch gears a little bit. Obviously, the the talk today is all about bifurcation and what the USGA and the RNA are talking about with the golf ball. Your thoughts on the idea of rolling it back?
1: Oh, my gosh, Chris. And and I love me some Hal Sutton. We battled for so long, so many years. Um, Who wants to roll the ball back? I don't want to be 20 yards shorter. Are you kidding me? (laughs) <laughs> um, they let it get out of control. It, it's the, it's the USGA's fault from the beginning. It, it has nothing to do with the players. They're only taking advantage of what they are given. And they missed, I think the USGA missed the boat years ago by not, you know, upgrading their standards, not upgrading how they tested the golf ball, uh, years ago. It's, it's not the player's fault. Don't roll that ball back. Um, maybe it's at its limit. I'm good with right now, stopping everything right now. That's fine. But it's like in IndyCar racing or or, or any racing, Formula One, whatever, they start rolling everything back. And you know what happens? The engineers right. outrun them and they figure out a way to make it better anyway. So I I, I don't understand this. Um, they talked about, and the tour has talked about bifurcation for so long. We don't want to do that. We don't want to bring this in. Well, that's exactly what's going to happen. The players right. of today that play at the country clubs and the, and the munis and are, are now they, they wouldn't be able to play the same game as the professional golfers. And that's, that's the problem that I see that they can't not, um, compare themselves to what the players the you know the best players in the world are doing honestly Chris I I don't like it um I'm not for that bifurcation of that I'm I'm for some bifurcation of rules and uh some of the other things but rolling the ball back I don't think accomplishes anything because you know what those guys that hit far are still going to hit it far and they're going to st- Relatively, and I'm a numbers guy. I was a math guy. I was, a you know, a, a statistics guy. I said, you know, it's it's not going to level out. Twenty percent is not twenty percent for everybody.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: Anybody that can launch it higher is still going to hit it farther, and it it's not it, it doesn't quite work that way. So I I am not for this whole thing. I think if there if there's a limit right now, that's fine, but. You can't roll things back and make professional golf at the highest level go back a step or two to make things equal because it won't be equal.
0: Do you think there's some chance? Like we're in a what a six month sort of let's talk about this thing period, and then if it gets adopted in August, then in in January of twenty six, you know it it will start. Do you think there's any chance that over the next six months they they someone gets to them and just says, you know, Hey, look, this is stupid. We're not going to, we don't like this, the players, whoever it is. And there's some chance that, you know what? Okay. You're right. We won't do it.
1: Yeah. I I think the, the manufacturers certainly have a big say in this. They've already made their statements that they're not for this. Um, I think as professional golfers, you're probably going to have, you know, you're going to have both sides of the issue. I think that, They're going to have to understand on what this means to the 99% of the players in the world that don't play professional golf and that they can't be part of this, that they, um, really are kind of the forgotten, forgotten people in this whole thing. The professional golfers, again, they'll find a way to increase distance. They'll find a way to do other things, you know, face of the club, The CCs, the COI, all all that stuff. You know, these engineers are not stupid. They're not hired in these (laughs) these these equipment companies by you know just because they need to hire somebody. Um, They're going to figure out a way, and it's all going to come back again. And it's going to—I think it's going to bite them. Honestly, that's the way I feel. Like I said, I know Jack is on one side, Hal's on one. I I get that. I understand that. But I'm—I'm actually. Competing this week after 18 months. I've come out of retirement for two weeks to play here in Newport Beach at the Ho Classic. Uh, next week at the Gallery Cla- uh, Classic there at Mission Hills, where I grew up and spent a lot of my time. I don't want to hit the ball 20 yards shorter. Honestly, <laughs> I get this. I, I don't want to be that guy. So um, I want to keep the distance that I have so I can be competitive because the longer players are going to still be long. And the shorter players can't get the ball up in the air quick enough to take advantage of it. So I'm I'm not for it.
0: Switching gears a little bit, John. Here we are a couple of days north of the Players' Championship. And thanks to a five-hole stretch on Sunday, Scottie Schepler walked away with with the golf tournament. What do you think about what what you're seeing? Not just what you saw this past weekend, but over about the last 27 events that Scottie's been in, he's certainly winning at an awfully large clip. And when he's not winning, he's right there in the mix. What do you think about what we're seeing from him?
1: You know, Chris, I've, I've, I've been in this media part um, now for a few years, and I've, we've covered college golf. We've called, covered amateur golf. We've covered Corn Ferry, We've covered PGA Tour. Scotty Scheffler is no joke, and I mean that by he has won at every single level. It may not be pretty. It may not be aesthetic. But you know what? He was dominant as a junior. He was great as a college player and an amateur. He was corn fairy player that dominated as well. It took him one year um, to make his mark on the PGA Tour before he started winning. And now he's winning at Eclipse. So that tells me something about Scotty Scheffler. He knows how to win, he knows what his game is about. There's zero weaknesses in his game. And his mind, Chris, his mind, Nothing bothers him. He's he, he's in such deflection mode when things are going astray. He's so quick to get things back on track. Uh, it's really impressive, Chris. To to me, it's it it, you know, if I was starting like a, a franchise or something, I'd go Scotty Shefford, not, not only because he's a great player, but his mind and his body language and how things deflect off of him he'd be a great addition to any team.
0: John, I think golf magazine was the place where I, where I read that they were suggesting that we could be in the, in the midst of a new big three with Scotty, John Rahm, Rory McIlroy, those guys trading the number one ranking. It seems like every week, Uh, your thoughts, could, could we be seeing a new big three? I think so. And, uh, I'm I'm gonna go
1: with Scotty because there are no weak weaknesses in his game. Uh Rory can, you know, th- there's a foul ball coming every once in a while. Uh John Rom, you know, he he runs a little bit hot, maybe to his detriment, just a little bit. He's so talented, Chris, uh, in every part of his game. Um, that yeah, absolutely he is top three. You know, kind of Rory, I mean, when he's on, he is so on and it, he is really hard to beat. But Scotty Scheffler doesn't beat up on himself. He doesn't beat himself. And you might not like his foot action. You think that might a foul ball might be coming every once in a while. But you know what? He, he backs it up with supreme play in between. And, I mean, he, he could go off the rails a little bit early. He'll right the ship. And he will build such an advantage that that one bad swing is not going to cost him. And uh, I don't see that in the other two. I don't see them all running away with with uh, with events uh, as it as as it plays out right now. Um, but those are the big three, and I think that they're going to be a little bit interchangeable for the next little while. I don't see um, any of the other top tens kind of creeping in there unless the Masters happens to fall in uh, Patrick Cantley's place, or ha- happens to fall in Shoffley's place, or happens to fall. You know, wherever it may be, uh, to get them in that that uh, that discussion of the top players in the world, those three right now are are uh, far above uh, the rest of the field.
0: John, you played in a whole bunch of players' championships. I know, with Hal, when he won in '83, you were the 36 and 54 hole leader, going out in a final round at TPC, when the wind is blowing and all that sort of stuff. I mean, heck, just that 83-year, when I looked at everybody's scores, it seemed like from the final round, I mean, Sevy Seve shot 78. Craig Stadler <laughs> shot 84. Right. I mean, Right. What's it like going out there, knowing that 17 and 18 are looming? You're the leader. Boy, I mean, what's it like trying to deal with, you know, not getting ahead of yourself and worrying about when the wind's blowing my what's it gonna be like when I get on the 17th team? My goodness, what's it gonna be like when I'm standing on 18? How do you deal with all of that?
1: You know, it was interesting. I, I do remember that round uh honestly, and I did have the lead, and I, I think that I made a I made a triple and a double during that final round. I made a bunch of birdies. I know when I got to 17, uh we were, Hal might have been finishing. And I was in the last group and I put it on the green with an eight iron. I remember that I wasn't hitting gap wedge or pitching wedge. We were hitting eight <laughs> irons, seven irons. I even hit a six iron one day. Wow. For that right hole location on Sunday. So, you know, we, we can talk about all of that. But um, I, I put in the middle of the green, two putted, and I went to the 18th tee, tied with Hal knowing that at par ties and we would play off a birdie wins, the wind was howling in out of the left, which is the last win you want on 18 at uh, TPC Sawgrass. And I was getting a little aggressive. Um, I tried to like hug that bulkhead, you know, up there. I was I was trying to make a birdie, honestly, and and to win the golf tournament. And I tugged it just a little bit and it uh, it kicked into the water. And I end up making a double and finishing third. So um, standing up on that tee, and I know it's it's a lot, it's longer now than it was back in 1983. But you know what? It was you know coming down the wire with how you know great respect. We battled you know in college years, amateur years, um, for him to win there at the Players, um, and coming down the stretch with myself, having that chance to win my first big event. Uh, it was, it was something special. We knew we knew how special the players was and, uh, you know, playing on a golf course that was so penal and it was only the second year was open. So it, it had not really settled yet. So it was way more difficult back then. I mean, there was no rough. If the wind blew and you hit a ball offline, you had no idea where it was going to go. There was zero containment on the golf course. And um, it was way more penal back in the, in in the eighties than it is now. Uh, There's no way that you could shoot, you know, back then, you know, in the double digits under par, it just was, it was that difficult. So um, I can tell you that uh, it, there was just danger on every single shot. If you played well and you hit a lot of fairways, you would hit a lot of greens. If you struggled off the tee and couldn't quite figure out where the wind was blowing from, it was very, very difficult.
0: Six iron on seventeen really holy cow. yeah yeah
1: i i so that's this is in the nineties, and uh it was one of the years that elkington won and i was I, I made a huge run on the on the back nine, i'm not sure exactly what year it was it might have been uh might have been ninety seven might have been whatever one of the years that uh elkington won um and that right hole location, I think it was like 148 yards, but the wind was ripping from the left and in. And it's one of those just hold, I mean, what what other kind of shot am I going to play? I don't know what other kind of shot I'm going to play, honestly. So I just tried to chip like this little six iron, try to get it to maybe the center of the green, see what happens on 18. And you know what? I flushed one. The wind kept ripping. It hit just over that bunker on the right. Rolled down to about you know two and a half feet. I made a two, wow. and went to eighteen and hit driver three wood. Chris, I hit driver oh, three wood God. to eighteen <laughs> that day. That's how hard the wind was blowing. These guys don't hit. They have zero idea on how hard that golf course
0: could play. Wow, that's amazing. <laughs> John, just a couple more before I let you go, and obviously live golf is a big topic, and I, I just want to get your thoughts if if things play out where it it doesn't work out for live, whether the PIF gets tired of funding it or whatever might happen a year or two down the road, is there a road back for those guys?
1: You know, Chris, I I would have to think so. And, you know, I've said from the start, and, you know, it's a, it's a, it's a question to ask a 25 year old, 35 year old, a 42, three, four year old uh, player on, you know, would they go? Why would they go? And you know what? I have no problem with any of these players going. I have no problem with anybody coming out and saying what they're saying against it. Um, I don't really see it going anywhere for a little while. Um, I would say, yeah, I, I, the, there would be an Avenue back. Uh, some of these players, you know, really never were, were PGA tour members. So, you know, there's that Avenue back. The other ones are the greats in the world. I mean, they've won major championships. Um, do they have to maybe serve a little bit of a off time perhaps? Yeah. Um, but I, I miss Dustin Johnson playing golf. Honestly. Uh, I, I miss some of these guys playing golf. Joaquin Neiman. I miss, I miss watching him play golf. Abraham answer was, like right on the edge, Harold Varner was right on the edge. I could see where they could maybe welcome them back, but they're gonna, they gonna—they would have to serve a little bit of a suspension. But what's the harm in having them back? Just because they made a business decision, a family decision for some of them that didn't grow up with, with the means. Um, they did it for either you know, foundation reasons, personal reasons, family, whatever it might be. Doesn't make them bad people. I still talk to Charles Howell. Am I supposed to not like these these guys that went? Um, am I supposed to like get them off of my contact phone? You know, phone numbers. Um, they're still good people, and the PGA Tour. They want to play against the best players. There's still some of the best players are there, and if it doesn't happen, yeah, maybe they serve a little suspension. But welcome them back. I mean. What's the harm in that, honestly? Golf, golf is different, Chris. Golf is different, and when you understand and realize that it it is different, and these players are the best players in the world, why not have them play?
0: Yeah, agree with that a hundred percent, John. I want to go back to two memories, two good memories for you, two two tournaments that you won. Um, your second win on tour came at the 83 Canadian open. You and Johnny Miller finished tie and go into a playoff. You both parred five playoff holes in a row until you go on and you, you get a birdie on on the six. What was it like going through six playoff holes to beat Johnny Miller there?
1: Well, the first thing is Chris, Jack Nicklaus finished a shot out of that playoff. So I'm, I'm going for my second win. I've got a one iron into the 72nd hole. Um, I could have laid up who hits a one iron. So I hit maybe <laughs> one of the, the best shots of my total career uh on that 72nd hole to be able to make a birdie to tie Johnny Miller. Um, and so the first four playoff holes I had inside of 15 feet to win the golf tournament. And then, of course, going back to the 17th hole, now Johnny Miller has a 12-footer to win the tournament. And I'm going, oh my God, you know, I'm I'm had a chance to beat the the best two players, and oh my, you know, here Johnny's going to bury this, and now I'm going to lose this, and oh my God, what's going to happen? And he missed it, and I, I I drove it in the bunker on the 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 sixth playoff hole, so I had to lay it up, and I laid it up to a perfect you know wedge shot, and I was not going to miss this six footer. This was not wasn't going to happen, so um but to beat johnny in a, in a playoff and and gain that respect of uh you know, of beating two of the the greatest players probably the greatest player and you know one of the great players of my era and my time uh, was a, a a great a great second win the first win at the crosby in 1981 was you know the life changing for my wife and i it was uh, in 1983 to win in Canada, which was basically the fifth major at that time, because it got me in the world series of golf. It got me a number of starts just because of that event. Um, so it was, uh, it, it was very, very special. I, I, hold that, uh, really dear to my heart to win a national championship. Um, and, um, you know, to beat Johnny Miller in that playoff and keep going and, and, and not, and not give in and not and, and keep persevering and um but that's kind of who I was at that time and like said, we talked a little bit earlier about the 83 players that you know you know I, I I I wouldn't say I gave it away but I had a chance to win that event with with Hal coming down the stretch you know I I I won that when I wasn't giving this one away
0: let's fast forward 13 years to the FedEx St. Jude Classic in 96 you broke the tour record for low score after 54 holes. You go out and shoot 64, 62, 63, and then come home with a 69 to win by seven strokes. Now, you know, guys going into final rounds with big leads sometimes go into the prevent defense and then lose it. You didn't do that. You kept the foot you know your foot on the pedal. Talk about that win.
1: So it, it was very interesting. I, I had one of those rare weeks where it was every number was, it was a seven iron, eight iron, six iron. There was no question on what the club was. Um, It was one of those rare weeks that that happens. But uh, I remember warming up on Sunday and my great friend mentor, uh, Ken Venturi was on the call and uh, he came up and he, he didn't say much. He just watched me hit some shots, uh, watched me warm up. It was, you know, High 90s, it was humid. It was yeah, it didn't need a whole lot of warm-up. And uh, Kenny was watching me you know, warm up a little bit. We just chatting about stuff. Um, never chatted about you know anything about you know swing or playing golf. We just just chit-chat. And I got done, you know, warming up, hit my last couple wedges. We're gonna go to the you know, putting green. He just said, John, you deserve this. Keep doing what you're doing. That was all he said. And they had the golf course set up so difficult on Sunday, and the wind blew a little bit. Um, I knew right away that you know powers were going to be good. I had a big lead. And he, he, you know, we had talked about this for years, Chris. You know, 25, 25 years. We talked about, you know, winning golf tournaments and you know, strategies when you have leads and you know, my strategy, you know, going into going into Sunday was no three putts. Uh, don't give away the threes, the par threes. Don't make bogeys on the par threes. And you know what? The only way that you're going to blow a big lead is if you start hitting the golf ball out of play. And that wasn't really in my my arsenal. Was I wasn't super long. I was going to drive the ball straight. So, in my iron game just kind of led me into. Um, having that lead that I didn't have to really worry about a whole lot unless my swing went somewhere and my swing wasn't going anywhere. Kenny believed in me. You know, what he said, just keep doing what you're doing. I went to that first tee in supreme confidence.
0: Changing gears just a little. I know your son, Jason played his college golf at Pepperdine and then played professionally for a while, went back to school to Penn state to get his turf management degree. How's he doing? You
1: know, Chris, um, we're, we're so proud of of Jason that um, if I had his physical abilities, <laughs> it's, it was pretty amazing. He He's very, very good, uh, physically in, incredibly good. But he did realize at some point that he loved the game so much that he wasn't going to quite get to where he was going and wanted to go. But he loved being outside, Chris. He loved being on the golf course. He loved learning about, you know, turf grass. He loved setting up a golf course. He understood the T-sheet on whole locations, all this. So at 34 years old, he decided to go back to college, graduated Penn State, turf grass management. Uh, he's down in uh, Austin, Texas. He He's working with Discovery Land Company, um, and, you know, he's, has a chance to stay in Austin, Texas at Driftwood, uh, golf and ranch, or they might move him somewhere else. And he could he could be on a new build somewhere else, but we're so proud of, of Jason and where he's been, what he's done. Um, there's very few in that industry, Chris, that has a resume of a professional golfer that understands golf, understands turf management, understands growing grass, setting up golf courses and building golf courses. So, um, you know, we're really proud of him and we hope that he continues on this path because he could be really, really good at it. And, uh, he's, he's enjoying himself. He's just kind of looking for, you know, what's his next assignment going to be could be in Austin could be anywhere that uh, discovery land is at, or it could be somewhere else. Who knows?
0: So could we see John and Jason cook, build a golf course together?
1: Oh my goodness, that would be an absolute dream come true, Chris. Uh, yeah, I, you know, it, it, as I wind down at sixty-five, um, you know, uh, always looking for opportunities. I'd love to. I, I've 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 designed five golf courses uh, through my life. I, I would love to be on a, a part of another build at some point and des- design. Um, I would not hesitate to to hire Jason as a um, as part of the build. Uh, It would be uh, it'd be incredible to uh, to work with Jason on that level, not just learning about the game of golf, but also learning about his world. I don't know a whole lot about his world to listen to him talk and the passion that he has about uh, turf grass management and and building a golf course. Um, I'm his dad. I can sit back and listen to him talk about it for an hour. And I would be I'd be honored to do that.
0: John, before I let you go, remind our listeners how can they stay up to date with all the great things you're doing and follow you, whether it's online or it's over social media or on the radio. No,
1: oh, that's great, uh, Chris. I appreciate it. I do some work with uh, SiriusXM, PGA Tour Radio. I'm on with Craig Can uh, every Monday. Uh, I'm usually in his six thirty hour, six thirty to seven o'clock hour with Craig Can on Connected. Um, I'm also still doing. Um, uh, work with for uh golf channel uh, i'm doing a lot of uh, pga tour events doing a lot of the ncaa uh mostly as lean analyst on on both of those i do some opposite field events uh on on for for golf channel i'll do some champs uh pga tour champions events of course on uh a twitter you can catch me at uh, john cook golf uh and you can also on on um on Instagram, uh, same thing, John cook golf and, uh, you know, happy to follow. I, I only do Twitter to answer questions. I'm not, I'm not one of those guys that go out there on a limb, but Instagram, I also answer questions. So, um, I, am readily available and, and, and happy to answer some questions. Sometimes we'll get into some discussions and, you know, sometimes it gets a little, you know, i I kind of voice my opinion a little bit every once in a while, but uh, it's a great discussion and I I, I welcome any comments and any questions at uh, any point in time.
0: Well, John, I can't thank you enough for coming back and being generous with your time tonight. Always a huge thrill to get to spend some time with you. You're fantastic, my friend. I I hope we get the privilege of having you back on again soon.
1: Oh, absolutely, Chris. You have great guests. It's such great conversation. To follow my great friend and 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 rival for so long, Hal Sutton, I just uh, I love this. I, I enjoy it. I love talking about golf. I'm so passionate about golf, uh, Chris. That's why I got into the the media part to you know be an analyst to you know still be part of television and and radio. Um, I love this game. I want to promote this game. It's a game for the ages. Uh, I I just love it. I really appreciate you having me on.
0: Well, I appreciate you, my friend. And the passion comes through your voice. And that's what I love so much about having you as part of the show. Um, I wish you the best of luck at the Hogue. I look forward to to watching you over that weekend. And, and uh, like I say, hopefully we get to have you back on soon. Anytime. Anytime, my friend. Thank you, John. Take care. All the best to you and your family.
1: You as well. Thank you.
0: That is the great john cook folks and as you heard in his voice and you heard his answers i mean how great is that guy i mean get to hear the stories and the passion from years of playing and and years of broadcasting and years of being a part of the game of golf that we all love so much and you can tell why john was so good at it again 21 victories between the pga tour and the champions tour how great is that and then to to go on and and be a great broadcaster of the game and, and a great ambassador of the game. And that and that's where I think uh, that I love John so much is, is that ambassador of the game piece. Because not only was he a great player, he loves to talk about it just like he said a moment ago. And that just radiates and brings people into the game. I mean, we all love to go out and play play golf whenever we get the opportunity. We all love watching it on TV or on an app or whatever and following our favorite players and that sort of thing. But it's when somebody brings the passion to every part of the game, every aspect of the game that John does, that draws more people into it. It makes the game more fun. It makes the game more accessible. It makes all of us enjoy it more. That's what I take from every opportunity that I've had to have John as part of the show. That's what I take away after his segment is just feeling better about the game of golf and feeling happier that I'm a part of it and I get to be a part of a show where John Cook has come on now five times. He's fantastic. I love following him. I hope he does really well at the Hogue, and I hope we're all privileged enough to have John back on the show, like I say, really soon. Okay, before we go any further, I want to remind you guys about our friends over at Adele Golf. Power and precision. Adele Golf's SMS and SMS Pro irons offer the ultimate in iron adjustability. Featuring the revolutionary swing match weighting technology, precisely dial in each iron to your swing by moving the heaviest weight to its optimal position for maximum performance. Learn more about them by going to adelegolf.com. And folks, do you sway and you're off balance in your golf swing? You know what? It could be your shoes. A golf shoe needs structure to provide stability and reduce sway. How can you tell if your shoes lack structure and are hurting your game? If you can hold your shoes by the toe and heel and twist it, toss it. Squares was designed for the perfect balance of structure and comfort. Isn't it time you tried Squares? Try the new Speedbolt at squares.com. That's S-Q-A-I-R-Z All All right, my friends, it is time for me to put a bow on this episode of Next on the T. I want to send out my sincere thanks again. To Rob Strano, Hal Sutton, and John Cook for joining me this week. Scheduled to join me next week are our resident direction, director of instruction, Tom Patry. will be back, as will PGA of America Hall of Famer Bob Ford. What a great guy Bob Ford is, and, and a huge privilege to say it'll be his fifth visit with me next week. Looking forward to having Bob back as part of the show. Another one of the top instructors of the game, John Hughes will be here and as will jack curry from two under and sconey golf which oh by the way won best new product at the pga merchandise show jack will be here with me as well folks you can find this show available as a podcast just about anywhere you get your podcasting content in particular you'll find us out there on spotify apple podcast audio boom player.fm and good pods and, and again a thank you to those folks for making Next on the Tee one of their recommended podcasts. And my thanks to all of you for just being the greatest supporters in the history of podcasts. I'm very appreciative of everything you do for this show and all the support that you show it. Folks, until next week, hit them straight, my friends.
1: Well,